The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this wonderful food that you've given to us, and this wonderful family of fellowship. We thank you for your spirit and that you have rested upon this place, this beautiful place that you've given to us. And we pray, God, that that spirit would indwell each of us, that with worshipful hearts, with humble hearts, with grateful hearts, we would come to your word now. And that we would see your glory. We thank you for Moses' intercession for his people praying to God, Lord, please let me see Your glory. And so, Lord, we echo that prayer and say, please let us see Your glory. God, you, uh, we could have the perfect teaching, but if Your Spirit is absent, uh, it will be all for nothing. And so, God, we're just asking for Your Spirit to come be, be present. And we ask, God, that You would let us uh, know You. We thank You for Jesus, who is the cleft uh, in the rock for us. Uh, that we are in, enveloped and saved uh, by Him. We pray, God, that You would show us these Scriptures, that they would point us to Him, uh, and that You would be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright. Well, last week, something unprecedented happened. That was that I did not get all the way through my lesson. <clears throat> Some of you are laughing at that. Not sure what you mean. Need a little more height. So rather than rushing uh, through, we just decided that we would put it off another week and we would go. We were in the, uh, in the Golden Calf. We spent a lot of time in the Golden Calf last week, uh, Exodus 32, but the uh, lesson goes thir- 33 and 34, as well as Joshua chapter 1. So, um, so we are going to take 33 and 34 and, and hopefully Joshua chapter 1 uh, this week as well. So, just to catch us up, if you were not here last week, um, we saw that uh, Moses was away on Mount Sinai with God, and he was had received the Ten Commandments, but then he was receiving God's um, other commandments as well. Uh, and we talked a lot about the law and a lot about uh, that some, to some satisfaction and some, to some consternation. We talked about uh, the law and, and its place in our lives. But the people were tired of waiting for Moses. They didn't know where he was getting this law. And so they asked Aaron, Moses' brother, to, um, uh, about, would he just make us another god? And, um, and so he said, sure. And that's just beyond me. I just cannot figure out really why Aaron would so easily uh, offer a, a, a yes there. But I think he was probably walking a fine, trying to walk a fine pastoral line. Um, or at least I'm just imposing myself on his situation. But um, he is uh, nevertheless a great line that he gives to Moses who comes down in fury... And he says, I, I just think, always think this is amazing. He's at, Moses says to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn, upon, uh, burn hot. Speaking of, of Moses, lower L, lowercase L, Lord. 
You know the people that they're set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) That's really one of the funniest lines in all of Scripture. I I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Um, which it said before uh, earlier that w- he used a graving tool to fashion the calf. So he, he's obviously uh, at least downplaying, if not outright lying, uh, to Moses. So, um, and so there, there's a uh, there's there's consequences of this this action, this idolatry that they've had a god other than God. Right after, just on the very heels, not even a month. Uh, after uh, the Ten Commandments, they've made for themselves a God. They've graved and it's an engraved God, and so which was also uh, not allowed. And so there's consequences, and um, just a, a really, um, I would say for me anyway, confusing. Um, this is one of those times, and there's a lot of times like this in the New Testament where we see. Well, we want God, at least in our day and age, we want God to, to just automatically forgive, right? We want God to just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, you people, that's okay. But God doesn't do that. God, God pretty much gets His feelings hurt. At least that's the way it comes across. And I personally am a little uncomfortable with that because it may, I would rather have a God who is impersonal. And I don't mean not to be known, but maybe at least unemotional. He's unchanging. So I don't want a God who gets upset with, well, with sin because I have some. So, you know, I, um, I, I don't want... I have a lot, actually. That was understated. <laughs> and um, and so, so it's easier, I think, to think that God... The consequences of sin are, are natural consequences... The God in His holiness, which is true, uh, judges sin, but it's not. It's sort of an impartial judgment. But it really seems as if God sort of gets His feelings hurt after all He's done uh, for these people. And I don't know exactly what to make of that. Uh, it, you know, is it actually that God is? We know God's emotional uh, in a in a godly sense. He's not immature. Like, he's not insecure, and I, when I get mad, a lot of times it's just covering up insecurity, right? Um, but God's not insecure. But these people have offended against Him, uh, and they've transgressed and, and by making this calf. And so He throws a, He orders um, that some of them be killed, and so perhaps it was a smaller party, because it's certainly not all of them, um, that were, a smaller party that were engaged in this idolatrous worship. But he also sends a plague. The Lord sent, the very end of 32, the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. So, that seems essentially to be the end of it, except that, uh, so now he says, okay, uh, to Moses, entering into chapter 33, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's fulfilling his promises. He's sent the plague. He's, uh, the consequences of the, of the calf seem to be, in a sense, over. He's going to give them the land that he has promised many years ago. To your offspring I will give the land. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So it's hard, for, like, like, if I were saying that, I would, I would be sort of licking my wounds and saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using this as a platform to say what I really want to say. You know, like, always what comes after the word but is what you really want to say. When you tell your spouse, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. Like, I love you. It's just, you're just giving yourself permission to say, you're driving me crazy, right? Um, and it seems like God is saying, I'm going to give you the land, but what I really want to say is, I'm not going with you because you, y'all, have, y'all are stiff-necked. You're one track. You're hurt, you've hurt my feelings. And, and it's, I think we need to reckon with that. I think we need to understand that God really desires and longs to have a relationship. I, I, um, I don't really have a full articulation of uh, how to talk about God's emotion. Um, we talk about God's wrath, and I always often talk about God's wrath as being uh, not angry in the sense that you and I are angry. Again, it's... it's um, it's the natural consequences of sin. But he is saying uh, that he's not going because they, they have abandoned him. And he still seems to be hurt. And the people heard this disastrous word. I mean, that, I love that. They can automatically see if God doesn't go with us, then we have no, no indication of who we are. We don't know who we are apart from God's presence with us. Yes, we messed up, but God's with us, God being with us makes us who we are. For the Lord, they mourn. And no one put on his ornaments. Well, they had thrown most of their ornaments into the fire, it seems like. But um, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. In other words, I am holy and you're not. And it's, it's hard to tell. Is he caring for the people? I don't want to burn you up. Uh, or exactly what? But, uh, or is he just saying, I'm not, I'm not going. And so Moses intercedes. And there's this really kind of a cool setup before Moses intercedes, and we see that Moses has, sets up the tent of meeting, which is the, the tabernacle, uh, and we, there's all sorts of uh, very precise description of what the tabernacle is to look like and the materials it's going to be made with, and that was earlier in, in the book of Exodus. Um, and, but he goes in, and then when the Lord meets, when the pillar of cloud comes down, and Moses comes out, and all the people come out and stand in front of their tents. The tent of meeting is far off, but they can see in the desert the, the, uh, the tent of meeting, I mean the uh, pillar of cloud coming down, and they bow down and worship while Moses meets with this pillar of fire face to face. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, would not depart from him. So, it, so he's not there alone. He's got Joshua, who's going to end up, we're going to see Joshua take over in just a little bit. Um, but the Lord used to speak to Moses, it says, face to face. Now, interestingly, in just you know, a few verses, we see that God says, you can't see my face. So what's going on there? We know that God is spirit. He's not flesh. So I think what the author is trying to say uh, here is that the Lord and Moses have a particular and special intimacy uh, where they speak to one another in each other's presence. Um, And uh, as a man speaks to his friend, uh, it says. And interestingly, uh, it just points us ahead or it makes me think about when Jesus says, 
No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Um, it's in, in Christ that we're all given that special and particular relationship. And, um, and so Moses intercedes for the people because the Lord has said that he is not going up with them. I'm gonna, you can go on up, but I'm not going with you. And this is interesting to me because when we say we're learning about prayer, does prayer change the mind of God? Would God have acted differently had Moses not um, interceded? And would God act differently if we did not, uh, if we do not pray? Moses said, uh, so let me read through this intercession. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, well, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I, I in your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are, so that we are distinct? See what he says? that it's, it's in God's presence that makes them distinct as a nation. I and your people were distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. So what he's saying is, don't send us up if you're not going to go. Because that's why we're here, out in the, in the desert. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I, know, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by it, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, Moses isn't exactly imposing his will upon God. But he is looking at what God has already said and applying that to the present situation. You said that you would go with us. You said that you are our people. Uh, it is in go, your going with us that, that we are distinct from the other nations. So he is um, speaking back, excuse me, he's speaking back to the people I mean, to God, what God has said to him and to the people. Uh, he is, and, and I wonder if that might inform our own prayers when we are interceding. God, I know you are the God of health. I see in your word where you healed uh, this person or that person. I want to read, go back and read that. And I'm praying over this person and asking your hand to be upon us. Uh, and I also see in Scripture where Jesus says, uh, Not my will, but thine be done. 
And so, Lord, I'm just holding all these things that you have spoken to us, and I'm asking, and I'm holding this situation, and I'm, we're giving it to you. But I, I just wonder, friends, if if knowing our scripture and praying our scripture back to God might not be a really effective means of prayer. And I say that because I I think it is an effective means of prayer. Although I'm reminded of it, it's not one that I do all the time. My prayer usually is journaling these days, um, which helps me a lot. It keeps me focused rather than just sort of throwing stu- a bunch of stuff up against the wall and then wandering off and thinking about what I saw on Netflix uh, the night before. It's, um, it is, um, which may not be your experience, but it is mine. And, um, and so journaling helps me. But, um, but I'm most effective when I read Scripture and I journal and my prayers take on the character of what I've just read. Um, when I say effective, I think it's meaningful to me, um, not that God moves in a particularly power, more powerful way. Um, although He might. Uh, he might. So I wonder what you see in this. this um, let, me, let me, well, in this intercession. I mean, God, uh, Moses is, is um, desperate for God. Uh, please show me your glory. Please don't send us up. And I wonder about that for when we pray also. Are we desperate for God? Or are we desperate for God to just give us what we want? It's really about the sort of target of our heart. Yes? Why was it so important to Moses that... Why was it important for God, Moses, to to be able to ask to see the Lord. He's already experienced it. He's got the commandments. What, what was the point in God showing himself his back to Moses? Well, I think, so the question is, if you couldn't hear, the question is, what is the <coughs> importance of, uh, why does, after all that God has given to Moses, why is Moses asking for more? Is that essentially? I think that's the nature of what it is to know God. The, the more we know of God, the more we want of God. Um, I don't, I mean, Mo, God doesn't say to Moses, are you kidding me after all I've done for you? He says, well, I can't, I don't want to kill you with my holiness, but I will put you in the, in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass over you. And then you can see um, my back. So there's this intimacy, but but even Moses can't, Stand the holiness of God. There's that wonderful hymn uh, written by a great Anglican theologian, Augustus Toplady. Um, and that, I mean, God bless his parents for naming him Augustus Toplady, um, who wrote, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So people have often uh, looked back. Uh, on this passage, this cleft in the rock that hides Moses from the glory of God being consumed uh, by His holiness and seen Jesus as being that cleft for us. Rock of ages, cleft for, for me, let me hide myself in Thee. That Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' um, sacrifice for us, His atoning sacrifice, is the place where we hide from being consumed, so that we might be able, like Jesus and like Moses, the intermediary in this um, situation, 
like we might have that intimacy, that face-to-face intimacy with God. We saw in the passage from Hebrews a couple of weeks ago that we may approach the throne of grace with confidence. Right? So, that cleft in the rock uh, shows us that we need a protection. And yet, Christ shows us that we, we are that, uh, that protection. So, what is, what is your reflection on this intercession? The nature of prayer. I must have hit the nail on the head. Um, the, I would encourage us all, including myself, to really look at the Scriptures as a script uh, for prayer. Um, as a platform, maybe. Uh, certainly to inform our prayers. The Psalms are fantastic for that. Uh, but really, all of Scripture uh, can be used to inform our prayers. When you think of your prayers, I'm praying for you know, my uncle who is dying, or my, um, my friend who is suffering, or my finances that are behind, or whatever it is. Can you, can you also recall some Scripture that could go along with it? I think that would be helpful to you. Uh, and, and, and to shape our prayers. So, offer that. Uh, Moses makes these new tablets. The covenant is renewed. God writes the... He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights again. They don't make any golden calves this time. Uh, I, I don't know if you've read... Uh, if you've ever read the um, Chronicles of Narnia. And the end... Uh, the last one is uh, called The Last Battle. And there's a, a long time where they are sailing across this sea and it's just, they, the, there's no more wind, but they still seem to be sailing along and it's just the closer they get to Aslan's shore, it's just all light and they find themselves eating less and less and less, but feeling more and more energized as the days go on. And I just wonder if that's not what he's uh, recalling a little bit when it, Moses is up on the mountains, he doesn't eat or drink, and yet he's totally enriched and fulfilled, and comes down with his face shining. Um, that to be in the presence of God is the nourishment, which makes me wonder about the heavenly banquet. I always thought there'd be uh, right on cue ribs uh, at the heavenly banquet, but um, and there may be, but I wonder if if God Himself uh, is not the uh, the man that we will have there. Uh, anyway, so the what's that? Is there a parallel with Noah? And all the animals that were on the actual ark. That's a lot of forty days, forty nights. Yes, so forty days and forty nights, yes. Jesus is in the wilderness, forty days and forty days. Forty days typically means a long time. Not too long, but a longish time. And that's kinda it's a is it precisely forty days? Uh, I, I don't I don't think the Bible means to be exactly precise. There's that sort of coincidence. Actually, when I turned 40, uh, I did a series uh, on going through the different places in the Bible. Of um, I was up in Birmingham, but the um, where we looked at the different places in the Bible that 40 is significant. Um, and it just it's just, it's a period of waiting. It's a period of of uh, God stepping in uh, after that. So so yes, there is a parallel uh, there. So Moses comes down from the mountain after the covenant is renewed. Again, God is always over and over again. You'll see through the Old Testament, God is faithful to His covenant promises. And He renews His covenant 
with his people with Moses. And Moses comes down and his face is shining. And it scares the heck out of the people. Uh, the Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony. This is the uh, second edition. Uh, in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Um, I think the word in there from Hebrew is Shekinah. I always hear about the Shekinah glory, but there's nothing in here that says the word Shekinah, but I think it's from the Hebrew. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So what does this make you think of in the New Testament? The shining face of Moses, what is that? It's a transfiguration where Jesus is shining as well. And of course, when Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, He's shining. Who is with Him? Moses and Elijah. But there's a difference between Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration shining and Moses coming down from Mount Sinai shining. And that is that Moses' shining, His glory, was a reflected glory. He had been in the presence of God, and therefore He's shown. Jesus was God, and therefore He's shown. And what is remarkable is that when Peter and James and John go up on the mountain and they see Jesus, Jesus shining in all His glory, essentially the, uh, the master, um, the lawgiver and the, the master prophet, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, there before uh, Jesus. And God says, this is my son, listen to him. Not just, you knuckleheads, listen to him, you're not listening to him. But over and above the law and the prophets, listen to him. And they are not consumed. It's really important that they see the face of God and they are not consumed. Because in Christ, uh, we have full access because of his sacrifice. So this shining face of Moses points us ahead. Moses' glory is a reflected glory like the moon. Jesus is an internal glory, an innate glory like the sun. Jesus is shining. So, that's really where this portion of, our, um, of the Essential 100 leaves us in Exodus. So what happens after this is, of course, as you know, they go up. They send 12 spies across the Jordan to spy out the land. They come back and they're like, we cannot go in there. There's giants. They're huge. We don't have a chance. Again, after all that the Lord has gone through with them, two spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, we've got to do this. God is going to be with us. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that God has us. We've got to go. The people outvote them, and they, uh, they come back. And they wander in the desert for 40 years, and the, that entire generation dies out. Now they have children, and those, those um, children live, and they're the ones that are going to cross the Jordan with Joshua. But the only two from the first generation out of Egypt that are left alive are Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful spies. So including Moses. It is a seismic shift in the Hebrew landscape when Moses dies. 
And you can imagine, if you've ever followed a legend anywhere, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do. Ask Ron Zook, is it, is, it, is it hard to follow a legend? Yes, it is. Ask anybody uh, how hard it is uh, to follow a legend. And it is, is very difficult, but, but unparalleled to follow Moses, the servant of God, who spoke with God face to face. And so they wander for 40 years. They come back up. They fight a few battles. And, and we hear about a whole recounting all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, which the E100 uh, does not uh, take us through, perhaps mercifully. But Moses, uh, it actually is really wonderful stuff. Uh, it's, it's, um, Leviticus and Numbers, they're a little tedious, but Deuteronomy is really good stuff. So Moses dies, and Joshua becomes the leader. And we, we knew that was going to happen. Moses knew that was going to happen. The people were ready for it. But it, um, but it, when it happens, I mean, who's ready for that? It's like, you know, anytime the patriarch of your family has been dying and you're preparing yourself for it, and then it happens and you're not prepared. I mean, you, you know how that, that goes. But this is amazing what it says. After the death, this is Joshua chapter 1, where I am now. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. <laughs> Moses died, let's go. It is incredibly stark. It's incredibly um, abrupt. You don't see God giving, uh, giving the people time to grieve, even. Moses dies, time to go to the promised land. Joshua is the new leader. But as you can imagine, Joshua might have some real reservations about this. And so what the Lord says to him is really remarkable. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So friends, here's my question for you. When someone sees that you're going through a hard time, and they write on there, Joshua 1.9. 
are these words for you. Be strong and courageous. And before you jump to yes, let me remind you some of the other words that God says to Joshua throughout here. Go kill all those people over there. (laughs) So how do we choose? What, I mean, obviously we say, well, I choose the good ones and not the bad ones, you know, but, but is it that easy to say, are these words for you? That's, that's the question. Wrestle with that for just a second. What do you think? If he's going to be your number one, you don't have a choice. If God's going to be your number one, you don't have a choice, Okay. Yeah, so he's God. He says so. Let's, let's go. But we're fearful, so he's encouraging Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Okay? I think when you read the Bible, it depends on your state of mind, too. If you're, if you're kind of in a negative place in your life and you're reading some scripture, you might be more engaged with the kind of the negative mm-hmm. part. If you're in a good place in your life, then you might read scripture and, and choose the more positive act. So, I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong way to, to read it. Well, I, I'll say I do think there's a right way and a wrong way to read it, but we may, in, we may land at the same place in a practical sense. So if you're strong and courageous because it says to be right here, then that's great. But I don't think you should read the, I don't think we should read this as if it were written to you. And here's what I mean by that. When God tells Joshua to go and kill all the people, he's doing so as an act of his own judgment against their, the people and their, their sin, the other nations. It's very clear about that. But judgment has already been meted out on the cross, and we, you will not be told to go. And I mean, no, no there, is, there is no right way to read the Bible that has any of us going and, you know, other than perhaps as a, as a soldier for our country. But even then, I, that's another, another thing I know. Uh, but there is, but as a civilian, as a follower of God, there's no way, as, no way that any of us will ever be called to go and be a, uh, a minister of His deathly justice. Because God's justice has already been given on the cross. And so we are saved, and we are to be proclaimers of that salvation. But the God who has given the cross to you, the God who has called you to be a proclaimer of that salvation, is the God who sees His plans through this same God right here. And so whatever you're called to, you need to be strong and courageous because God is with you. And so you can, rather than seeing this as these are God's words to me, I think you can take them very personally, but say this is, you know, I can be strong and courageous because God is with me in this whatever calling it is. Does that make, you see that there's a distinction there. These aren't written to you, dear Jeff, be strong and courageous, but he wants you, Jeff, to be strong and courageous because this is the same God and he's called you to whatever he's called you to. So I think that, um, that that's how we need, we need to understand how these things are fulfilled by the cross. And certainly the cross does away with 
commandments such as go kill all the Jebusites. But it wouldn't do away with the invitation to be strong and courageous. Right? To, to see, read the cross back into this uh, is very important. And they have answered, Joshua assumes command, they answer Joshua, and Joshua, they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. And if I were Joshua, I would have said, oh no. Just as you obeyed Moses, don't, they didn't obey Moses. Remember that golden calf? So, and that really is actually, they, they're good to their word. They end up obeying Joshua just about like they did Moses. And we will see that as we get into it uh, next week. So I think it's next week is uh, Joshua chapter 2 through chapter 6. So if you wanted to look at that, that would be the, um, the fall of, uh, they cross the Jordan and, and the fall of Jericho. Joshua 2 through 6 next week. God bless you. Go to church. Or go cheer on the Jags. Any sport?